Hi, I'm Jen Gibson, and this is Brain Weasels. This episode was recorded at Wolfman Studios in Little Rock, Arkansas. No one in this show is a therapist, but we all have a lot of experience with mental illness and love to share our wisdom. Today, Sanchek and Lee Dandy enlighten me on their interpretation of Twin Peaks, and it is a good one. Both have been on the show before. Lee is a queer tattoo artist at Electric Panther in Cabot, Arkansas. Sanchek is a dissociative identity system. This is really their episode. Take a listen to their fascinating take on the show, generational trauma, and abuse. Twin Peaks is a story about trauma. So, of mm-hmm. course, always close to my heart. It, it came out in 1989. I, gosh, I actually remembered my dad used to watch it. And he would record it on DVR. Um, while it was airing in the very early 90s. And I was very small, but I have that good of a memory as I remember him, like, watching it and commenting on it, um, like, as he went for some of the episodes. Um, And it was a whole phenomenon when it came out. So it's also, as far as public consciousness goes, there's probably a lot to it that people don't realize they know about, that it's affected... um, you know, just the pop culture paradigm in general for so long, because the thing was back then there was just absolutely nothing like it on Mm. TV, nothing at all like it. Nobody had done anything on that level of like cinematic with those types of shots, with those, with that type of setup. And it was like, you had whole sports bars that would do Twin Peaks stuff. Like when they were going to reveal the killer, they're like, okay, we're taking literal bets. And there was like a national poll on the news about who thought it, who it was going to end up being. And, um, you had just like the, the TV guide ads and the interviews and the t-shirts and all of that. It was, it was just a wild thing. Um, and funny to me that like, I kind of grew up with that in a way, even though that was like right at the beginning of my life when it aired, but it, it stuck around and, to get season three literally exactly 25 years later was wild because I had, I'd been waiting since I was old enough to actually watch it. I've been waiting since I was a teenager to actually like see if they were ever going to do more. And I think we'd all given up at that point. And then, and then they come out with more and it's a different thing. And that's kind of the point. But so I wasn't actually going to talk about season three anyway. Um, I was pretty much just going to talk about the first two seasons and then the movie because, of course, Network didn't like it. Network was real gun-shy about it. Network was nervous it wasn't going to work out, which actually ultimately is what killed it because they Lynch wanted to have the whole two seasons before any reveal, and they rushed the situation. Mm-hmm. So about like five episodes into the second season, they reveal the killer, and then a whole bunch of bonkers shit happens that goes way off the rails for the rest of the season. <laughs> and... um. I completely blame that on, you know, that good old network meddling type stuff. Um, But as for the show itself, and I guess if we're willing to get into spoilers, um, I have such a weird take on it um, because I've been in the fandom for so long. Sorry, goodness. I've been in the fandom for so long and I've actually met most of the, the cast so far i think the only people i haven't met was my chance to meet ray weiss he was sick he it was like at the beginning of covid and he stayed home and i haven't met kyle and i haven't met uh david lynch himself or or mark frost um but i've met like the vast majority of major character like actors otherwise and uh 
I've met Cheryl Lee several times. And not to get into my, like, general relationship with Cheryl Lee at this point, but we've talked extensively. And she was surprised. She said she hadn't actually heard any anybody give my take on the series before because she plays Laura Palmer, the girl that's murdered. And my entire point was I was like, Laura's the main character. And it was daring because she was dead from the start. And she's the only character who actually makes an active choice, which was to break the cycle. So she's the only character who actually makes any kind of good action. And everyone from that point on is just reacting to her. Mm. And... uh that's actually a thing that gets brought up a couple of times and that I think there are a couple of really important monologues. And I, I often say that one of the most important monologues in television ever is when her boyfriend Bobby at her funeral goes off and has this whole speech and, and basically says, um, you want to know who, who killed Laura Palmer? You did. We all did. Everyone mm-hmm. knew she was in trouble. And that yeah. was that's that's it that's the that's the show in a nutshell um because it's really uh it's just a story about everybody wants to build it up to all the weirdness and you know the demonology of it but um because of course there's the suggestion that it was some kind of entity and then spoiler wise uh you find out that it was her father and there's this whole thing about was he possessed was he not and in the end even the show says it doesn't matter because um the entity in of itself they say well what is bob but the evil that men do and because that's what they call the demon a demon named bob so camp love it but uh but that's that's really the bottom line is is they repeat especially with the movie fire walk with me that Bob wanted Laura and she had to die and she knew that and it's because at the very end it was he kept asking for her to like allow him to take over allow him in allow herself to become that abuser just like her father um because her father was also abused and that's how he like contracted Bob and everything and she ultimately says I would rather die than be like you yeah and so that's exactly what happens and I I feel like that show gets so panned or dragged by people who don't care don't pay attention or don't understand it because if you're not looking at it from a trauma-informed perspective it's not gonna make the most sense in the world and I feel like that's true for a lot of the things that Lynch does is I find a lot of Lynch's stuff makes more sense to me because I'm like, oh yeah, I've been there. I, big feelings completely relate. Mm-hmm. Erase her head. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't want kids. That would be <laughs> awful. And I can completely understand where that character's coming from. I mean, you can go on and on with that sort of thing. Um, but in particular, Twin Peaks is special to me because... It's just, it's got this gigantic cast of these wonderfully lovable characters. It's fairly noir. Almost nobody's actually a good person, including the otherwise considered main character, uh, Agent Cooper. Yeah. And, um... He, he do be making lots of mistakes. He makes lots of mistakes. <laughs> he makes lots of because, mistakes. <laughs> because they, they, there is a thing where, um they say that you can't survive the excursion into this other world with imperfect courage. And he seems like the bravest person in the show ready to go, except 
it, it, it isn't until you realize that the entire reason he's doing any of this is because he wants to save her and she doesn't need to be saved. Right. She made that choice for herself because she's the hero here. And by saving her, he would ruin everything. And trying to solve it's one thing, but if are you doing it because you're trying to bring a sense of closure to the scenario you know are you really doing this for other people or are you doing it because it makes you feel good yeah and that's always a question for me personally <laughs> i don't think of course it doesn't matter whether love is or isn't transactional or whether um you know doing things for other people is or isn't selfish i think it's not a bad thing that it would be. I think inherently that there is a give and take and there should be. And that selflessness is kind of a red herring, I guess, <laughs> for lack of better terms. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's, it's to a degree unhealthy to consider, but ultimately like um, sometimes I think we get in our head that we are going to be the hero of a scenario and do the right thing without considering the input of another person uh, mm. you know the other people in the scenario it becomes all reaction it's all reaction and never action and so at some point we have to detach ourselves from the scenario because is it really our scenario yeah to to um project ourselves onto or to handle or to any of those things so I, the, it's just a show that's got deep layers and layers and layers of tons and tons of questions like this and philosophical stuff. And it does it all so surreally and subtly. And, and I think it today, even today, goes over people's heads completely, especially when you're not looking at it from the sense of this is about a kid mm -hmm. who was abused her whole life, deciding that she's going to be the one to end it so boy that cycle breaking yeah that's what it'll do to it. you yeah and it can feel like that in real life that was something that um having that whole conversation with cheryl that's kind of where it started is that it feels like that anyway you know because i actually relate to laura a lot and that's also probably part of the reason that i get i got very attached to the show uh we it, had a lot in common <laughs> so it feels like death is that what you mean? it can yeah it yeah. can feel like you know that you yeah you'd rather die and at some to some extent you have to you have to let go of of everything else in order to get away from it i mean just because i have a good relationship with people in my life who are in my family who may have been abusive to me not all of them but i i don't talk about my past stuff in detail for a reason because mm -hmm. i have a good relationship with a lot of them now but um some of them not so much and you you know when I was trying to cycle break with that it came down to a big overarching like blanket ultimatum of I'm cutting all contact with all of you and unless x happens that will not come back I am dead to you because I'm not going to I'm opening no channel of communication unless under this specific circumstance and that either matters to people or it doesn't and for mm -hmm. some people, their whole family, like, it doesn't matter to them at all. And for some people like me, they you get lucky and someone will start to think about it and they're like, gee, maybe I should go to therapy. And, and, it, and it, it spreads, you know, but not everybody's that lucky. So yeah. 
And I think it can also feel very much like that idea of the surreal demonology type stuff, because especially with dissociation, you kind of sit there and you wonder how much of it was real and can I trust my memory and what was actually happening? And, um, you know, it didn't feel like the same person. Was that really my dad? Was that really, you know, you, you want to put yourself at a distance from it. Um, except as was said, as Cheryl said in that conversation, she was like, but it was, and it's important to acknowledge, you know, and that was something that's important about the show too. It's, you can't just write Leland off as a character who was possessed by a demon. He was absolutely complicit in that to some extent, no matter what you think of him in the end. He went through the same thing that Laura did where he was abused and Mm -hmm. he accepted Bob into into him knowing what 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 would happen that mm-hmm. he would be like that and Laura decided no and who who knows how many people before Leland that this happened to yeah know, because it seems it's a cycle that just keeps happening it's it's the same thing with generational trauma you're mm-hmm. right that like people who abuse you they're not abusive all the time and you wonder where it comes from it just seems to be triggered out of them and they suddenly are Mm-hmm. Being a monster, being a demon, or you know, however, yeah. you, whatever metaphor you want to use, it just doesn't seem like the person that you love. It certainly de- mm-hmm. doesn't seem like somebody who loves you. There's no question in the show that Leland really loved his daughter. Yeah, uh, he's definitely just horrified by what happened. And at yeah, first, like at the first, yeah, the grief was very real. In the first part of the show, I wouldn't have suspected him at all. It wasn't until he started kind of going off the rails a little bit where I was like, oh, "There's something going on here." Mm-hmm. And, you know, then they had the reveal and everything, and it makes a whole lot of sense when you look at it as a metaphor for trauma and generational trauma specifically and how that shit just kind of cascades down the family line, you know. Yeah. Abusers pick the people who are closest to them. And that usually mm-hmm. means, unfortunately, their family, most of the time their kids, because not only are they closest to them, they're also vulnerable mm-hmm. to their authority, and they are reliant on them, uh, and, you know, a kid depends on you for its well-being you know mm-hmm. um so that is just a story that just constantly we see all the time and oh, people yeah. don't want to believe it people don't want to believe it was a, a demon people don't want to believe it was leland but which one was it you know mm-hmm. um it's easier to believe that it was possession than it is to believe that a father would do that to his kid and that's that's literally a line in the show mm-hmm. too is they're like yeah. is it easier to believe that it was her dad <laughs> Or is it easier to believe that it was metaphysical? And that's a question that gets asked in real life. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know? And I I also think that um, that's, that's something that happens to dissociative people a lot, too, is we tend to end up with either you know, maladaptive daydreaming stuff, or if you're in a system attaching to the idea of fictional memories because it's too difficult to process it up close. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of put yourself at a distance in some type of fictional or imaginary scenario. It it drives me nuts that I see a lot of, um, like, bullying and mockery and just people talking cringe about people who, who have dissociative issues maladaptive daydreaming or did who get really deep into escapism and fantasy and fictional stuff and people like or who have people like manny who are you know fictional interjects i see a lot of like bizarre hate about that when i'm like i don't know how to explain to you that this is this is easier to process than what actually happened leave people alone 
Yeah. You know, I, you know, it's easier when you look at it this way to understand or, you know, when your memories don't quite line up, it's easier to have potentially off the wall feeling, you know, sensations about something that your brain otherwise won't let you remember. Um, I, I mean, good example being like, I, I know, for instance, alters that are dead, oftentimes it's because something happened that made them feel dead. Like, I just died that day. And then they get it in their head. And, and for some people, depending upon the level of, like, barrier, dissociative barrier between people, you can, like, genuinely, really seriously believe that and get into delusion territory. But, like, it, that's all just... It's just a defense mechanism. Yeah. And, and it drives me nuts that, like... Of course you don't understand it. Of course you think that this is nuts because you didn't have to go through that. You don't know how difficult it is otherwise to confront this kind of thing. So I think Lynch was actually wildly spot on. And um, I know that the the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, which was like the book that, one of the books that went with the show, um, which I have and I've read and it's fantastic. His daughter, Jennifer, wrote it. And... Um, from what I understand, she knew someone who she consulted on it, that she wrote it basically, um, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, because I heard, I heard this at one of the, one of the, like, panels that I went to, um, was that this was not completely, but vaguely inspired by someone who would, will never be named. And, mm. and I completely believe that because it's so fucking realistic, <laughs> actually. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I have a lot of feelings about it. And, and the rest of the show is it's just, it's set in this small town with all the small town drama. Yeah. Um, don't drink that coffee. There's a yeah. fish in the percolator. It's basically just a soap <laughs> opera and you drop this very traumatic, dark, gritty, realistic, real world scenario into it and, yeah, and then you're left to try and digest how, as as almost cartoonish as this world might seem, as otherwise campy as this world might seem, it's really not that far off because I always say Lynch just makes observations. I mean, there's a lot of things we go through our everyday lives and we'll be in a room and stuff is just weird. Mm -hmm. And people are just weird and weird things are happening. And it just doesn't quite like it would be and awkward if it was in it. a script and no one's <laughs> and you don't, either don't notice or no one else is reacting to it. You probably write it off and don't think about it, but it's weird. And <laughs> so I I actually think it's just Lynch has a tendency, especially with because I've gone through all his stuff including his art exhibits he has a tendency of trying to put things in front of you that are really rather every day that you otherwise would not pay attention to and find a way to make you pay attention to them yeah. and um so i don't want to be one of those people where they're like you just don't understand lynch but he's probably one of the only like artists i like where that's really true like if yeah. you don't get it you probably won't like it and if you don't like it you probably don't get it because you know there's there's a lot to be said there and he's definitely a true death of the author person where art is a conversation and anything that he says that could put a stop to or derail that conversation he will not say because it's more important for all of us to come up with our interpretations than it is for him to explain it anymore he's made it it's out there it's our turn now yeah so yeah and that's um 
That's something that's so great about him is that he um, inspires so much conversation. Oh, yeah. And we'll continue that conversation on a later date. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to my guests. Please join us again next week.